0: Welcome to the Goshen News Sports Podcast. I'm sports editor Greg Keim, and with me in the studio again today is Austin Huff, our sports reporter. And as always, our fearless leader, producer, Sheila Selman, is here to keep Austin and I in line, keep us on the subjects, and... uh, Make sure we don't go overtime on <laughs> well, well, podcast. Well, given uh, some of the news that's happened
1: this past week, or literally the past five minutes before we, we sat we, down to record. Yeah. yeah, We
0: might have a little bit of a long one today. <laughs> yeah.
1: You know. So, uh, let's just hit it off, right? What well, we just kind of broke, um, which broke last night and then re-broke
0: today, <laughs> if that makes any sense. Um, it's, fair- it's another perfect example of how things change Day-by-day, hour-by-hour, minute-by-minute sometimes with this COVID-19 virus.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Fairfield Volleyball um, had canceled its match this past Thursday against Hamilton, and they were canceled their appearance at the Shondell Invitational in Muncie on Saturday. And then in tweeted last night, they were also canceling their game against uh, Garrett for today. So, uh, naturally, you're thinking, what is going on with the volleyball program? Like, what is going on? So, I well, reached out to the school and... In 2020, you think it's COVID because everything's COVID.
0: Your first assumption anymore, yes.
1: So I reached out to the school, and last night they sent a statement out saying that uh, a team member, a member of the program, I should say, not specifically a player or not, but a member of the program was in contact with someone who tested positive for COVID-19. That member then started showing some symptoms last week on Thursday, and since that person had been around the program the two prior days, they decided to shut down everything, cancel games, right? And the school was going to be quarantining the team. You know The players, coaches had to stay home until this upcoming Monday, the 14th. So they were going to have two more matches canceled this week because right. of this. Well, <laughs> right before we sat down to record this podcast, talk about your old curveball. Yeah, right at you. Uh, they another email from Fairfield just stated that they are going to be resuming everything uh, as scheduled, starting right now, basically. So, basically, long story short, they 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 t- told everyone to go into quarantine and and now they're telling everyone can come back, that it's fine. Right. So they said that we are pleased to announce that these issues have been resolved and that we are welcoming back our students to school practices and matches. So the game for tonight against Garrett is still canceled. They're going to be remade because it is a conference, conference. game. But the Thursday night home match against Prairie Heights now is back on.
0: Okay.
1: 2020, baby.
0: 2020, You right. can't... You
1: right. can't... Just when you think you have... Settled in for a calm day, right?
0: Nope. <laughs> and basically, it's the same type of situation that the Goshen football team has run into, except Goshen's person actually tested positive for right. COVID, right? And had enough contact with players on the varsity and JV and the coaching, or the specifically the head coach Kyle Park, mm-hmm. that they had to go into the quarantine. So Goshen right. will be off again this week in football, not playing. Mm-hmm against the Northwood Panthers. And I, I didn't realize this until I looked at their schedule the other night. They will not have a home game this year until October 2nd. That's
1: That's got to be the latest they've <laughs> ever had a home game. Oh, it's got to be. Right? Like, it has it's to be. It's
0: got to be. Yeah.
1: So, yeah, it's... um, Yeah, you know, like you said, the difference between their Goshen and Fairfield was Goshen actually had the positive test. test. So, Fairfield you know never had a positive or we that we know of at least of a positive test on the team that would have obviously forced the quarantine to or someone in the program or someone in the program right could have been a coach uh or something like that yeah. so um you, you know who knows a stat guy might have got it for all we know but they said there was not an outbreak amongst the team uh you know so they're good to go uh hopefully everyone tested and came back negative and they can play and we'll you know continue their season and you know, obviously they're a, a program that is traditionally a pretty strong program. Made the two A semi state match last year, so they are. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're a you know they can make runs. You know, as a program and they're good. So uh, it's good to see that they're all. You know, back and they'll be able to play practice probably today and tomorrow, and the game on Thursday. Right. So yeah, mm. uh, <laughs> yeah. Like I said, twenty twenty. You know, yes. So you never, you never, never to
0: amaze you. What could pop up? So. And on the the side of things that actually happened last week, we right. did get some football games in Friday night. We did uh, a couple interesting
1: results that I I that I wouldn't mind hitting on. Uh, the game I was at this past Friday, Northridge and Wallacee, Raiders went in to Syracuse and shut out uh, Walla C twenty to nothing. Uh, you know, it, it was another great game by Northridge. Their defense looked fantastic. They Gave up only uh, 33 yards total of offense, I believe. 35 yards of offense. It, I've, I've seen, I've this, seen various yeah, numbers. Yeah, I've seen anywhere between 33 and like 65 or whatever. So, yeah. basically, a really good performance on defense. Yes. Um, but and, and they rushed the ball really well on offense. I saw they had 227 yards of rushing, uh, which was really impressive. Especially uh, the last scoring drive for them, they took over... With about eight fifty-five left in the game, ran the ball eighty-one yards down the field and scored uh, with like two minutes left in the game to really ice it. Uh, mm-hmm. It was a really impressive drive. And Coach Wogeman said, "You know, it may not be overly exciting for the fans to watch, but man, when we're when we're moving the ball four or five six yards a clip on the ground, like that gets hey, me as a coach
0: really excited." It, like. And you put it in the W column, that's all what Coach wants. Right, exactly. So
1: yeah, he was uh he was impressed. And honestly watching the game, uh I I wasn't I, I see, was you know, it looks bad on the, the stat sheet, right? Like Parker Young really struggled, you know, he finished five of twenty six passing and you know, the the total numbers look bad. But, you know, there were some signs there where I, I thought that like they weren't like, bad, you know what I mean, like, it, it was just, they couldn't connect on the deep passes that they have been connecting on so far in the first couple of weeks, there was a couple, were young through, where, I mean, it was, the guy was, the guy had a step, his receiver had a step, and he just missed him over, or just short, like something, you know, some variation of it, where, mm-hmm. like, man, if those, if one or two of those connects, you know, that, it's a huge play, one of them, a couple of them would have been touchdowns, you know, it stretches out the defense, it opens up the run game more, right, like, there's a lot of things that like even connecting on one of those does where right. like it right. was almost an anomaly that they connected on none like they, it was almost it was almost impressive in a in a weird way where it was like wow like they haven't hit one of those like all game like it was so I, I still think Wallace is in decent shape you know they're they're gonna play their defense is pretty solid they're gonna give people fits I mean you know so I, I, I yeah. And they, I, I didn't come away thinking that Wallace was bad by any means. Like right. they're, they're
0: a decent team. So Northridge now has shut out two opponents to start the season. And I thought this was interesting. They're one of only four teams in the state at this point after only two or three games that have not given up a point all season. Wow. The Raiders, Lafayette Central Catholic, Tell City, and Winnemac. Wow. Four teams, according to John Harrell's website, that have mm-hmm. not given up a point all season.
1: Right, and Wawasee was in that group until this past until week, of course. Until this past week, So right. you knew something was going to give there right. in
0: terms of that. But yeah. It's also the uh, first time uh, Northridge has posted back-to-back shutouts since the 2013 season. Yeah. When they actually had a total of six shutouts inc- in that year. <laughs> That's incredible. Like they shut out two of their first three opponents in Adams and Wallace C. And then they ended the regular season with three straight shutouts over Goshen Concord and Elkhart Memorial and began the playoffs with a victory over Fort Wayne Dwanger.
1: That's really impressive, honestly. You know, it really is. Like their points per game average allowed that season was, you know, probably minuscule. Yes. That was the year they went to the semi state, right, made a run, lost and a new prairie. Lost a new prairie. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, I read our stories, you know, I do. Sometimes. But, uh, yeah. So another game, um, a couple other games from this past week that we had uh, Northwood uh, beat Concord fourteen to six and maybe the quickest game I've ever seen. I was in, I was jealous. Our, our stringer Steve Craw was there. He tweeted the final score at like eight forty five. I was like, wow, yeah. That game didn't end until like nine thirty. <laughs> so it's like, man, if I had an hour plus to write a story, that'd be amazing on a Friday. So. But I was surprised, uh, in a sense, uh, because Northwood still doesn't have Nate Newcomer at quarterback. But, you know, Caden Lone made some plays, and that defense looks pretty legit down there. The Black Crunch defense, I mean, held East Noble to 15 points two weeks ago, held Concord to six. Uh, When you don't have your starting quarterback, you know, obviously defense has to step up. And, you know, to hold their first two opponents to a combined 21 points, that's really impressive. So, um
0: uh, Northwood always has believed in the old saying "defense wins championships." Right, and it it really does. Yeah,
1: and they uh, now they're they're kind of in an interesting spot because they don't have a game this week, obviously, because Goshen got canceled. Unless they can
0: find somebody to fill right. in, and I doubt at well, this point they can find right. somebody. Well, there but, there is you know, but I'll, you never know.
1: You know, Michigan Michigan City had to cancel a game this week with Valparaiso. I saw uh, today or this it was announced this morning, so maybe. Valparaiso Northwood game could happen you never know obviously it's a lot of moving pieces that's right. just me purely speculating here I don't have any insider information or anything about that I don't I'm not talking to people about what Northwood's going to do you know yeah. Um, but yeah you know Panthers are you know they're a one and one football team easily could be 2 and Uh, and they look like they might be you know maybe the team to beat in the conference them in Warsaw after the first couple weeks look like teams at the Northern Lakes Conference that are going to be you know, prob- potentially that, that game between those two later in the season might determine the NLC, uh, mm-hmm. which, you know, tends to do that for some reason the last couple of years. Northwood, Warsaw, Concord, all there, and Plymouth, you know, last year as well. So, yeah.
0: Um, the uh, Scotia didn't play again last Friday night. There were really no close home games that I wanted to go cover, so <laughs> I, I stayed in the office again, and I actually listened to the Fairfield-Central Noble game yeah. on Elkhartcountysports.com radio, mm-hmm. over the internet, and Fairfield actually, t- they took advantage of a lot of field position. They got really good field position off Central Noble and were able to score some points that way, and they're after their first 2-0 start for third-year coach Matt Thacker, Mm-hmm in fact, it's the first time they've been two and0 since 2012. It's a long time. Yeah, eight years when they so. actually won their first six games that season before finishing the year seven and four. Huh. <laughs> well,
1: I mean, yeah, so yeah, I was impressed uh, seeing that score by from Fairfield, you know the that was a game and I talk about it a lot with Facker and the program and just you know that's a game two years ago they lost 49 nothing. It's a game last year they only won eight nothing in overtime. You right. know, so to, I know maybe Central Noble's talent changes, too, but it, it's a, it's good measuring stick kind of moments of like, OK, when you played this team in two years ago versus last year versus this year, you know, you're seeing that progression of like Fairfield has really evolved in under Thacker in its third year where it's, you know, it's an actual force that, you know, could, you know, do well in the NECC and maybe finish better than last year. Last year they're, they finished the season four and five regular season record. Uh, six and six overall after two postseason wins and then losing in the sectional yeah. final. So they they're a decent team, man. Corey Lance uh, looking up the stat sheet had a hundred yards rushing. They completed two passes on Friday, both for touchdowns. Both for touchdowns. Yeah, how about that?
0: So go. figure. Another thing coaches like to see.
1: Yeah, right. Efficiency. Yes. So they host Fremont this week. Uh, Fremont's coming off a win against a team from Ohio. So really? both teams coming off wins. Uh, yeah, it should be interesting. Like, I, Fairfield, again, man, one of those teams maybe that, you know, they, they're in a tough sectional. They got Eastside in their sectional, which is, you know, a really high-ranked team in 2A right now. So, you know, obviously it's going to be tough to get out of that. But if Fairfield, you know, gets hot at the right time, you know, you never know. You know, they're they're an interesting team, I think, this year. Them and Wawasee, both very interesting teams, I feel like, in terms of what they are and what they could be, I guess, uh, at the end of the season.
0: So, Another score that inter- interested me was uh, Elkhart. The mm-hmm. Elkhart Lions going down to Columbus East and posting a 35-28 to 28 win last Friday night. Columbus East, in the last few years, has traditionally been a pretty strong school mm-hmm. as far as state tournament rankings there and everything, but <laughs> yeah. the Lions went down there and well, beat them. Big old,
1: big win. I mean, yeah. not, even, not even really close. Uh, I was looking up some of the stats, because I saw this on Twitter, um, El, uh, Rodney McGraw, the defensive end who's committed to Penn State, had 17 tackles and three sacks. That's, man, <laughs> it's impressive. Yeah, but did,
0: did he make any money selling popcorn in, in no. between time? Or? No,
1: no, I don't know. You know, it's, it, he, uh, yeah, that was impressive. And the running back, uh, Derek Woods, Which, had 156 yards rushing and five touchdowns. I saw that. I mean, that's, I mean, that's <laughs> a really impressive win. For Elkhart, they actually moved into the top ten of the coaches poll this week. They're number eight. Uh, they had not been ranked the first couple of weeks, uh, but now they're moving into the top ten. And you know, like obviously they're a, they're a six A team now, and they're a big. They're one of the big boys, right? Right. So uh, they play South Bend Washington this week. I'm not sure how good Washington is, but man, after that win against East, I think they're going to have you know they're raising some eyebrows. That's for sure in the state. It's
0: yeah, you know, and yeah, a. Fun fact that I looked up uh, for my story that was on the website yesterday. Back in 1972, when they split Elkhart, the old Elkhart High School, into Central Memorial, both of those, both Central and Memorial, started the season two and zero. Central beat South Bend St. Joe, fifteen to eight, and Goshen thirty-three to six to start the season. Memorial beat Michigan City Rogers fourteen to eight, and Michigan City Elston nineteen to seven. Mm-hmm. So both of them started the season two and <laughs> zero, and get this, both of them finished the season three and five, and three and four records in the Northern Indiana Conference. I we were, mean, how's that for splitting the school into, they, into two?
1: They they were just like anything you can do, we can also do. So you know, yeah. So yeah. Well, if they finish three and five this year, well, we got some issues, I think. Well, um, yeah, you never know <laughs>
0: how many games they're going to get to play. Right.
1: So, well, yeah, if they even get to eight games, that'll be that'll be nice. So, yeah. this week's slate is interesting. Uh, some interesting games that have kind of pop off the schedule. Elkhart, like I mentioned, going to South Bend, Washington. Wawa Sea at Concord uh, should be an interesting game. Uh, Plymouth, fine, or Northridge, excuse me, finally gets to break in their new turf Field complex with limited fans, of course. Yeah, Uh, yeah. Hosting the Plymouth Rockies, who just lost to Warsaw this past week. Uh, Warsaw and Mishawaka is the other NLC game uh, this week, given Goshen and Northwood have been canceled. Uh, West Noble, after losing to Eastside, goes to Angola. Lakeland, after winning the milk can, first win for my coach, Ryan O'Shea. Uh, They go to Garrett, and as I mentioned, Fremont. Uh, at fairfield so any of those games stick out to you
0: Greg anyone you're looking at in particular that's uh high popping i i think that concord wallace game is going to be very interesting mm-hmm i agree so i think uh if wall'll be want to prove something after last week's game they right we? right in Concord you
1: gotta think we'll want prove something as well you know hey we're maybe we're not you know they were a ranked team going into last week and they didn't you know, they put right. up six points so i'm sure they're going to want to prove that you know they're better than what their performance was last week and that's also their home opener so you know that's going to be you know, they'll probably be juiced up for that so yeah it, that is yeah. really i think that's the most intriguing game in uh, of the conference slate this uh, this week so yeah.
0: but yeah foot then, should be uh, should be fun yeah there's a some little school in South Bend is going to be playing football this Saturday too. I don't know if you're aware of it or uh, not. But Saint Saint Mary's? Um, not quite. Bethel. Same. Uh, <laughs> they're in Mishawaka. <laughs> same zip code as as Saint Mary's, probably. Mm-hmm. But uh, yes, actually uh, the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. They are. Believe it or not, we're here. Well, uh, <laughs> not yet. Yeah, it's, 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 we're almost here. It's Tuesday at 1:35, so right. there's Still time. We're you almost never know. there. Um,
1: As of now, now, Notre Dame has no players in quarantine or in isolation. No coaches either. They tested everybody on Monday morning and everyone came back negative. So as of this recording, Notre Dame will be playing football on Saturday against Duke at Notre Dame Stadium. Limited attendance, obviously, as we talked about last week with just students, parents of players, faculty. And staff allowed in the stadium. No tailgating.
0: No, you know, yes. nothing like that. Uh, I bet that hurts some people more than the fact that they can't get in the stadium.
1: I, you know, honestly, I it mean, hurts. I, I think it, some yeah. of those people
0: over there live for tailgating.
1: Honestly, yeah. I mean, I, I bet you people tailgate and then just watch the game on TV in their in the parking lot. You know, so. Um, but yeah, so they are playing Duke. Uh, they will be playing. Like I said, it's a two thirty Eastern kickoff game. Is on NBC. Uh, it is an official. ACC game for Notre Dame the first right. time they've ever played a conference season conference game uh, they are currently a 20 and a half point favorite over the Blue Devils it's a three about three touchdowns that just said 28 before 20 and a half no okay. not 28 20 and a half uh, last year they beat Duke by a lot um, I forgot what the final score was that was a really random it was a Saturday night game in November in Durham. And it was on the ACC network, so not many people were able to watch it. And, like, Chris Fink had a really good game, and Ian Book looked good, and, like, that was... Yeah, I mean, it was a pretty forgettable contest, all things considered. Well, yeah,
0: especially when you get to see it.
1: Right, right. Not many people got to watch it, because not many people have ACC network in the area, but that was, like, you know, one of the reasons why they wanted to, you know, promote the network, but... Uh, they Notre Dame released their uh, depth chart yesterday, first depth chart of the season. And uh, we knew there would be surprises given we haven't been able to watch any practices this fall. Uh, but I think there was someone even more than we thought. Like the three starting wide receivers this year, at least for week one, will be Ben Skoranek, Avery Davis, and um, Javon McKinley. Now this is surprising because Skoranek is a grad transfer from Northwestern, he's obviously impressed the coaches enough to, to get a starting spot. But Brayden Lindsey, who was a starting wide receiver last year, is not starting this week at least against Duke. McKidley took his spot on the depth chart, which I was surprising because Lindsey was a, a really good player for them last year. He was yeah, some you know, good games, right? Yeah. He had some. He had a lot of the. Uh, he was more of like a a speed guy, right? Where they would do some speed handoffs with them, where he would run to the outside or. But he had actually had some he showed some growth, you know, at the receiver position as the season went on, and he was the top returning guy. So it seemed like okay, he's gonna be the next like he's like naturally gonna be the next number one receiver. You know. Obviously too, the a factor going into this step chart is the injury to Kevin Austin from earlier in the fall or summer, whatever you wanna call it. Um, he is probably out for most of the season. He was gonna be another starting wide receiver, so that was just interesting. And then also, uh, redshirt freshman running back Kyron Williams will be the starting running back. Uh, Brian Kelly raved about him last week, and then this step chart confirmed that he would be the number one starter. But uh, And then the true freshman, Chris Tyree, will be the backup. So that's kind of interesting as well. You have three guys that are back that played experienced ball in Jameer Smith, Sebo Flemister, and Jafar Armstrong. And all three of those guys are going to be, like, potentially might play guys. Like it's just kind yeah. of crazy, especially given Jafar Armstrong was the number one running back in the 28 season and to start 2019.
0: You know, like, he was the number one guy coming out of camp both those years. I, th- I think he might have been the biggest surprise to me on that depth chart is the fact that he was, like, listed, what, fifth? Yeah, he's technically the
1: fifth guy on the running back depth chart. Like, this is a guy that was on the doke award watch list before last season for the nation's top running back. Now obviously he he had an abdomen injury last year and when he came back he definitely wasn't the same. Wasn't the same. But like right. you would have think that if this guy's healthy, he's gonna be able a guy that's gonna get you, you know, twenty carries a game, could play can play in the slot. He's a, he's a natural receiver, converted to running back. So like you would have thought like, oh this guy's gonna play, you know, be a factor all over the field and now he might play like what, five plays a game, ten plays a game if he's lucky. Like It's kind of interesting. I I don't know what's happened there. I don't know. It's what have you done for me lately? I guess so. (laughs) I guess guess so. But uh, you know, not saying that Kyron Williams and Chris Tyree, those guys aren't bad. Like obviously, they're very talented running backs. They recruited them for a reason, and they're here for a reason. But just feels interesting. You wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised if Jafar Armstrong. He has two years of eligibility left. You know, he could play this year and then transfer out play somewhere else next year and not have to worry about it because he'll be a grad transfer. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's thinking about that right now, you know. He was originally committed to the fine institution known as the University of Missouri, and then he Notre Dame offered him late. What so what? what was the name of that school? University of Missouri at Columbia, actually, is the full name. Mizzou, for short. Uh, SEC football team. I don't know if you ever Heard of them, I haven't. I,
0: yeah, they actually play football, yeah, but not well.
1: <laughs> but <laughs> if Jafar Armstrong was here, they might play a little better, might play a little uh, better, yeah. Think, huh? So, okay. and then defensively, I was surprised, uh, maybe not as surprised, but Shaw, Sean Crawford is the starting strong safety. And they had talked last week too about how he had moved to the safety position. But the way Kelly talked about him, just saying like he won the position, like he earned it, it wasn't like you know, we we thought, he said straight up that we thought he was going to be a placeholder, but like, no, like this guy is a legitimately good, strong safety for us. He will make our team better yeah. by playing that position. So that was what kind of struck me was like how confident they are, you know, in Crawford uh, playing the position, even though he's only listed at 5'9 on the depth chart. Usually your safeties aren't that small, but, you know. And someone asked Kelly about that yesterday too, and he basically said, "Well, look at Aloe Gilman from last year or the yeah. last two years. You know, he's not tall, but he played the position, you know, played uh, free safety really well, and we were able to play him at strong safety. So it's just a matter of your skill set more than anything. Right? You, you can overcome the height with your skill set. Right?
0: right? Height's so. gonna be overrated in football.
1: Right? It's it is funny though the look that you know on you know Sean Crawford's at one safety and standing next to him is six foot four Kyle Hamilton. <laughs> they have a seven inch difference in height at safety." That's incredible, hey. like. But Hamilton, Hamilton might be a, a star. Again, i was gonna say
0: Hamilton is, is a star. He's stud. a freak. He's a freak of
1: nature. He's gonna uh, if he's if he's here for you know more than three total seasons, I'd be shocked. So, <laughs> um, yeah.
0: so yeah, yeah. The move of Crawford was probably the second biggest surprise to me on that on the yeah. whole depth chart there.
1: Yeah. So, well, we'll see if the moves pay off. I mean, they're gonna you know they're playing Duke on Saturday and the. I'm sure a lot of these guys, you know, even if they're second, third, fourth string, will get a chance to play. I'm sure they're going to try to get as many guys out there. They haven't, you know, they've scrimmaged a couple times against each other, but this is the first live action they've seen. You know, there was no spring game, no
0: spring practices, no, you know, nothing and,
1: like that. So,
0: and like every coach tells you once they get ready to get play their first game, they're ready for it because they're tired of hitting each other in practice <laughs> every day. Right. So, <laughs> Uh, Yeah, I don't think Notre Dame
1: will have too many issues with Duke. Uh, You know, they have a couple. Duke's defense is pretty solid. they got a couple corners and defensive ends that are really stout. And Kelly said they're probably the best cornerbacks they're going to face all season, which is saying something. Wow. Yeah, so it it is a tough matchup in that sense. But, you know, with Ian Book back quarterback, third-year starter, uh, you would assume that, you know, they'll be able to make adjustments and maybe, you know, pull out a victory. If it's close on Saturday... Uh, we'll just blame that they didn't hit anybody for six months. That, that'll be the excuse, so I don't know. We'll blame so, it on Sheila. Right, we'll blame it on Sheila, right. So, uh, yeah. It, Sheila knows? just sits over
0: here quietly, and we'll just <laughs> blame it on her.
1: Right, so, yeah.
0: All right, I know you... Other, yeah. S- another story that I saw yesterday on the AP Wire is that, you know, I know football teams are traveling limited, you know, with some of their conference games. But I actually saw a story yesterday in the AP Wire that college basketball teams are considering bubbles. Yeah, this year. I don't know about that. They they said it's worked in the NBA, it's worked in the NHL, it's worked in the MLS. Yeah. I mm-hmm. I but, don't know how you could do it unless you put an entire conference together in a bubble.
1: Right. And then you're basically admitting that you're you just going to
0: play conference games. Well, I don't
1: know. Right. And you're basically admitting that like these students students, air quote, aren't students. They're athletes, you know, the that the academics maybe don't matter as much because you want to play your basketball games to you get your TV revenue, you know. So I think that would fuel the argument even more so that these at these student athletes should be paid, you know, because if you're going to wow. force them to be in a bubble away from campus and, you know, family for months, you know, they should be compensated in some way, shape, maybe or Maybe they'll be
0: on classes virtually.
1: Well, they would be doing, I'm assuming they'd be doing virtual classes, but also... You know, if you're gonna treat them like NBA players or NHL players or MLS players, that to me would make make me think that like, hey, you should actually pay them. Not saying they got to get paid thirty million dollars like LeBron, but like they deserve something. You know, if they're gonna be forced to play in this bubble basically for the conferences to make TV money, that's the only reason why they're gonna be playing if they're not gonna have any fans. Well, you know, I mean, so. face
0: it—that's why some of these football conferences are playing, oh, money absolutely playing right. games because they don't want to give up that TV money. Right,
1: right. I mean, I think the argument is same thing with football. You know, especially for them, they have to travel and everything. Like they're literally risking it. Like at least in a bubble, you can contain. You know, no one leaves, and that way, no one can get COVID. You know, once they get in, you know, with, with the football, who knows what's going to happen with all the traveling and you know everything that could possibly happen. So. Yeah, it's uh I don't I don't think a bubble should should be allowed almost to college sports like that's just my opinion yeah
0: I just thought it was interesting that they were even considering that idea
1: right I I, I don't know how much legs... how I I yeah. don't know either yeah it's just, so it, it's it's all up to be to be determined I guess so yeah, yeah. and I know you wanted to mention one
0: more thing Greg about Luke yeah Mark. I uh, I'm actually going to be putting together a column sometime this week about this. Uh, Anybody that follows my column or has been following my writing here at the news knows that I'm a longtime Chicago Cubs fan, diehard Mm -hmm. Cubs fan, Mm -hmm. but I'm also a baseball fan, and I respect guys that play the game the right way, do the things the right way, play out their careers, don't get into trouble off the field, things like that, and we lost two of those guys last week, and uh, former New York Mets pitcher Tom Seaver and former St. Louis Cardinal great Lou Brock. Mm Mm-hmm. Both of those guys. And one of the things that really impressed me about the Mets is after Seaver's death, you know, Seaver was a power pitcher, and he was known for dragging his right knee on the pitching mound during his delivery to, mm-hmm. to increase his power. And the first game the Mets played after his death was announced, all the players came out with dirt on the right knee of their <laughs> baseball pants <laughs> yeah. in honor of him. That was pretty cool. That I, I pretty thought cool. that was so cool. Yeah. And Believe me, as a Cubs fan, it's hard for me to admit (laughs) that the Mets did something like that, and I thought Mm -hmm. it was cool. Mm -hmm. Because I still haven't forgiven the Mets for beating the Cubs back in 1969, Mm -hmm. when the Cubs were up nine and a half games in September and blew the lead. I still haven't forgiven the Mets for that one.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: but That's more the Cubs' fault than the Mets' fault. It (laughs) it is, but, you know, it's (laughs) still...
1: Yeah. I agree. My dad doesn't
0: like the Mets either, so... (laughs) And uh, Lou Brock was another guy. I mean, he, he... Led the Cardinals to three pennants in the National League back when we didn't have divisions. Mm-hmm. And he actually led them to two World Series titles in 64 and 67. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Nicknamed the Running Redbird because <laughs> of his ability to steal bases. He stole 938 bases in his career, including 118 in 1974
1: alone. That's insane. You don't see teams do that anymore. No. Yeah.
0: And both of those were Major League Records until they were broken by Ricky Henderson.
1: Right. Yeah, Ricky Henderson rewrote, rewrote all the history books in terms of base yes. stealing. So.
0: And uh, this is another reason why it's hard for Cubs fans to like Lou Brock. Yeah, <laughs> Because he was actually signed by the Cubs back in 1960, and they traded him to the Cardinals in 1964 for a pitcher named Ernie Bergoglio, mm-hmm. who had won 18 games the previous season for the Cardinals. Right. Okay? Bergoglio never did much of anything for the Cubs. All Brock does is go on to a Hall of Fame career for the right. Cardinals.
1: Right. I mean, at the time, it didn't seem like a terrible trade, probably. No. Because you know, the Cubs probably needed pitching. And Which we'll find in a minute here. Right. <laughs> yeah. I was, this is called a segue, Greg, to Yes, your, you're your, leading me yes, right into... Yes, I'm throwing uh, it to you.
0: <laughs> there was a little-known sports writer at that time, a guy by the name of Brett Musburger. Never heard
1: of him. Schiller, <laughs> you might have
0: even heard of him. I don't know. But anyway, he had just graduated from college, and his first assignment for the paper that he was working for was to write a story about this trade. And his headline on the story the next day was, Cubs Pull Off Greatest Steal Since Brink's Robbery.
1: Yeah.
0: Did not turn out that way, and Brock said that every time he saw Musburger, after that story was published, he said... So, Brett, you still think that was a big steal for the Cubs in that, that <laughs> trade?
1: <laughs> no. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's just a little taunting there yeah. about H- how hindsight yeah. is twenty
1: twenty, you know. Yes. So it is that headline did not age well. It didn't age really well almost right away. So no. because Bergoglio had injuries and didn't pitch really much for the Cubs and obviously Brock's the Hall of Famer, first ballot Hall of Famer. Right. So, you know, one of the greatest Players of his generation uh, with Tom Seaver, so you know it was, you know, two legends like that gone in a week, just really sad. You know, yeah. it just seemed like a lot of famous people passed away in the last week or so. Lute Olson or uh, Lute Olson uh, from Arizona, John Thompson, the Georgetown coach, right? A couple
0: of legendary right, basketball coaches. Right.
1: Uh, it just man, like, seemed like every day there was someone new. It was like really sad. It was like, gosh, like 2020, man. The worst. Like, the yeah. worst. Like, everyone. Like, everyone just went. It was sad. Yes. So. Yep. Ugh. Anyway.
0: All right. My trivia fact to wrap up the podcast today is on September 9th, 19. Or September 9th, 2000. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yale. Heard of them? Yes. The, the Yale sm- Bulldogs. Smart school. Became the first college football team to win 800 games. Hmm. When uh, Rashid Bartholomew scored three touchdowns in a 42 to 6 win over Dayton.
1: Wow. 800. Win. I mean, that makes sense. They I mean, were, that's a
0: lot of wins. That but is a lot. Of,
1: well, they, they've been playing, well, they're one of the longest. Yeah, you know, they original. started playing,
0: I think, back in like the 1890s. So, right, yeah. So
1: them being the first 800 isn't surprising. Now, will they, you know, I wonder how long, like, I wonder who has the most of all time. Is it Notre Dame still? Most all time.
0: It's the Notre Dame or Michigan. I'm not sure which. Yeah, I, one of those I think two. they were always fighting back and forth. And then I think when Notre Dame had to forfeit some of those games, they kind of technically technically right, fell yeah. behind Michigan. Yeah. Yeah. So, as much uh, as I hate to say that to Russ Draper listening,
1: you <laughs> Yale, Yale, remember that 800 wins, Sheila, for the
0: trivia. So it's all up there. So yes, awesome. All right, folks, that will wrap up another edition of the Goshen News Sports Podcast, and tune in next week for our newest version.